Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. This week, we'll be talking, of course, MLS playoffs as they roll along. Thanksgiving, Alanis, Dax, Ole, uh, Zimmerman, national team coaches, and so much more. But first, joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. How are you, Mossy, on this Monday, November 22nd of the year 2021? I'm doing well. Uh, lest anybody believe I had turned over a new leaf with my appearance on the anniversary show, I am back to my usual attire today. Well, you mentioned the anniversary show. It should have shown up in your uh, feeds there. We really had a good uh, time putting it together. And if you haven't checked it out, do check it out because it's uh, it's fun with some really interesting interviews. And I like to think some interesting uh, talk with people like Chris Wondolowski and Kobe Jones and our, our friend Stu Holden and then all of us. But the real story of that show was your attire. And I mean, it it, it permeated through everything in the halls, the hallowed halls of Fox, uh, all the way up to our bosses, all the way up to the fifth floor, as they call it, with all of the leadership up, up there. As soon as you came online, and for those that maybe don't know, we have we have cameras here. Um, if you're just listening to this, this is also a uh, a visual experience, and a lot of it is piped through the building, and people were starting to see what was going on, and 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 people were taking screenshots and sending it all around. So that's. That's how how crazy it was and what a what what an amazing moment it was for so many people to see you out of the either Izod or the polo hat and the uh, the shirt and uh, jeans, my friend. So it was it was wonderful. I thought I thought you looked great. Even Judy Boyd chiming in. I know everybody. I told you everybody saw it and it was just like, wow, who is this dashing uh, young man that is uh, that is before us? But now back to uh, regularly scheduled pro- programming, right? Correct. Um. So, my friend, what, uh, what have you been watching, though? What have you uh, been listening to? What have you been reading? What's going on? Well, the usual suspects, uh, very good episodes of both Curb and Succession last night. Also, I did go see that movie Belfast, I mentioned. I oh, yeah, thumbs up? Last week. Thumbs up. Very you went good. to Enjoyed a movie theater. It. Went to, to a movie theater to see it. How was that? It's strange still, but... Yeah. Um, uh, and thus concludes the respectable part of my week. Now, can we get to the not respectable part? You buried the lead there. Okay, go. Um, against my better judgment, I'm ashamed to say I went down the Tiger King rabbit hole again. Oh, the but the second version, second right? Season, so there was the, the released the five crazy new episodes. one during the pandemic, and everybody was watching it. So now they've come out with something new. Yeah. And look, once you start it, you might as well finish it. But <laughs> as I watched, words it, to live by, my friend. There was this profound sense of. Uh, I'm not that interested in, in, in these people's lives anymore. I, I, I didn't need this. It, 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 Tiger King captured a time and place early in the pandemic where we all had nothing to do. And it was so unexpected. We all got into it. But I did not need an update on Joe Exotic and this woman, Carol Baskin, who obviously killed her husband. 
Um, and so we had to spend another episode going over the facts of that case, the disappearance of Don Lewis, and you know, so left, left me in the same place I was at before. Of course, she did it. And and meanwhile, Joe Exotic's trying to get himself out of prison, and and uh, so that you so haven't it's watched. Definitely it jumped the shark, or the or the the tiger, as yes, the case may be, right? Yes. Yes. Oh, my goodness. So. Well, I'm sorry about that. But at least now we have a review from you, which which, by the way, I know so many people, including my mother, take your word as gospel out there. But it doesn't mean that you you if you watch this, won't like it. It's just this is how we feel either individually or, or, or collectively here. But there, you know, there can be different takes on all of this uh, kind of stuff. Um, so I, I watched a, a bunch of different things before I get to that. I had an interesting uh, weekend of some a couple of different events that I wanted to mention. So, uh, number one. And this was right up your alley, and I, I had forgotten to tell you about this, but I don't know, about a month ago, uh, I, I got contacted on Twitter by somebody, a producer, a television pro producer, a Brazilian television producer that said he and his crew were coming to uh, the United States and hoping to interview some people about um, events that happened in 1994. And what, what I come to find out is that they were in the midst of producing a documentary on Romario for HBO. And so uh, over the weekend, I uh, sat down with them. They, I mean, they obviously have some, some money. They rented out this really cool loft downtown in LA. And we sat down and we talked about the great Romario. And obviously, as it related to uh, 1994, uh, for those that don't remember, the US played uh, against Brazil, which was headed up um, by Romario, one of the prolific goal scorers in history, one of the great personalities in, in history. Brazil ended up winning uh, one to nothing on July 4th uh, in Pasadena over at Palo Alto at the uh, Stanford Stadium there. And when on to win the World Cup in 1994. And this is just part of the longer story of who he is. But it was really interesting to hear them and, and talk, uh, talk to them about Romario. So that was one of the things that I did. And then another thing I did was on uh, what have been Saturday night uh, for, for uh, well, everybody knows, the World Cup is coming to the United States, but they still haven't decided yet on the actual venues and the cities. And so everybody's bidding. And what happens is the, uh, the delegation from FIFA uh, arrives in whatever town and they're on like 20 something right now. And they were arriving in Los Angeles. And so there's receptions and there's tours and there's PowerPoint presentations and all that kind of stuff. And so I, I attended a, uh, you know, a, um, basically a cocktail party welcoming in the FIFA folks, uh, there. And, uh, it was really fun. A lot of, you know, soccer personalities and entertainment personalities there to wine and dine these people. Look, it's going to happen in Los Angeles. All right. You have SoFi Stadium and you have the Rose Bowl. And by the way, those are the two stadiums right now. And so the mayors uh, of both the respective cities were there and all this kind of stuff uh, where they're they're spinning and they're and they're talking about how good it is. And, and it's going to happen. It's going to happen in Los Angeles. Just a matter of where and how and how much, uh, I guess, uh, happens. But it was really fun to talk to people like uh, Chris Klein, who heads the Los Angeles Galaxy, and Larry Friedman, who had, held, heads LAFC. And obviously, we're in the midst of the playoffs, and neither of those Los Angeles MLS teams are in the playoffs. So I told them, if, if you're going to suck, then suck collectively. And they uh, they certainly did that. But they're heading up the uh, the bid. So that was uh, uh, that was fun to do. All right. Now the actual stuff that I, that I was watching. A couple of things. Yes, I continue with The Wire. I'm not quite there, but I know I've been texting you <laughs> over the last 24 hours because all sorts of crazy shit has happened in the wire um i'm at, uh, at season five so i'm in the final season and there's a i have a, i have I probably about five or six episodes left to go so i'm knee deep in in season five so next week i would think i would be done and i can give you my full review in totality of everything that's going on um anything to say on that 
Well, rest in peace, Proposition Joe. Right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. For those that don't know, you don't know. But those that know, know. I mean, it, it's, it is, to your point, and we talked about this last week, nobody is safe. Everybody, well, there are there are a couple of people, but for the most part, nobody is safe. And so every scene, I'm I'm thinking, well, somebody's going to get shot here, somebody's going to die here, and some character that I've actually maybe even grown to, uh, well, not love, but at least appreciate and respect, is going to be shot, and it's going to crumble my world. It's amazing how many wire references I've made on this podcast over the years that went over your head that now you'll understand. Whenever I'm lauding a club like Sevilla or Dortmund for their uh, business in the transfer market, always making a profit, I say it's the prop Joe buy for one, sell for two philosophy. Whenever there's a team with two alpha dogs fighting to be the star of the team, like Neymar and Mbappe at PSG, I've described that as an Avon Stringer dynamic and all these references over the years that now when I make them, you're gonna- Now I'm gonna start saying, she. <laughs> Now, you're probably going to have to bleep that out for those that watch, because I didn't realize that was a thing until a, a couple seasons in. And he oh, kept saying, and I said, yeah. that must have been a thing right. that people must Clay have Clay Davis, huh? Right. Exactly. That's what Stringer gets for playing those away games. There you go. All right. Uh, and so what else did I watch? Um, a couple other things. So there's a new documentary. Uh, Bill Sim Simmons keeps doing great, great work, uh, especially in the, uh, the realm of uh, music and entertainment. Uh, and Alanis Morissette docu uh, documentary called Jagged uh, that focuses on Jagged Little Pill, which was a seminal album, came out in the mid 90s. Uh, you probably don't know this, but uh, sold 30 million al uh, albums and it was just ubiquitous. It was everywhere. And it obviously changed Alanis Morissette's uh, life. And so it goes through the um, the conceiving of this album and obviously her uh, her past uh, and then in the album, writing it, recording it and then touring on it and how it affected her uh, going forward. It's a little uh, it, it, you know, it's a little how should I say this? There's, it's a little pretentious. It's a little uh, hypocritical, but all in all, I think it's it, for me because I lived through that '90s and it was such a huge part of of my life in that generation, uh, and that and I remember exactly where I was when I bought that album. That's how that's how huge it was. It was kind of interesting to take a look back and to hear how, and just to see you know images and stuff like that. They got some great videos, so I, I recommend that. And then there's this this other one, this weird Swedish docudrama called the uh, called the Unlikely Murderer. Uh, and it's based upon uh, our actual real story, the assassination of the Swedish uh, prime minister back in 1986. And it's multiple episodes. It's another one where you can either watch it with subtitles uh, or you can actually have the dubbed version uh, of English and stuff like that. That was pretty good, actually. Uh, I enjoyed it. It's a little long. Probably shouldn't have been that long, but uh, but I did enjoy that. So there's a couple of uh, recommendations for you. Anything uh, else, uh, Mossy? All right. You ready to light this candle? All right. As you know, each and every uh, week, I kick the pod off with Alexi Lawless's State of the Union. Yes, it's time for my State of the Union. And this week, it goes a little something like this. This Thursday is Thanksgiving, a tradition of families and friends coming together for a holiday filled of turkey, pie and American football. But this Thanksgiving, the television table will, for the first time, include an interesting new dish, an MLS playoff game, as the Colorado Rapids face off against the Portland Timbers on Homer Simpson Fox. Now, the NFL and Thanksgiving is a tradition that is in no danger of going anywhere. But there is room at the table for some variety and alternatives, and who knows, maybe even some new traditions. It's 2021. America is a soccer country. Don't let anybody tell you different. Yes, it's often a wild, fragmented, and unpredictable soccer country, but it's ours, warts and all. And we want to invite as many people to the table as possible. So this Thanksgiving, when we gather with family and friends to celebrate and give thanks for the bounty of this incredible country, 
Part of that thanks is for the unique and special soccer country we have become. Even something like a Thanksgiving soccer game on national television shows how far we've come, and it's worthy of our attention, even if it's just a few bites. So pull up a chair and dig in. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. All right, Mossy, so that's my uh, State of the Union for this week. Not necessarily anything crazy or controversial, just kind of a celebratory uh, and uh, type of uh, State of the Union, because it is it is going to be an interesting week. And I, I, before we look ahead to this week, we should probably look back at what, at what has happened in Major League Soccer, because we are into the uh, MLS playoffs. And this is uh, always an interesting time, because what you were as an MLS team in the regular season, uh, it, it's not irrelevant. It doesn't, it's not that it doesn't mean anything, but very, very quickly it can go away. And all of that goodwill uh, that you have worked so hard to build up over the season in one fell swoop can be washed away and dismissed. Is that fair? No, it's just the reality of the situation and all players and all coaches, uh, Understand that you cannot afford to have a bad day in uh, in MLS playoffs. Um, but I think this is also if you look at the results uh, and we don't have all of them yet because we're recording this on a Monday, but certainly over the weekend, uh, it's a graphic dis- uh, display of how important it is what you do in the regular season to assure that home uh, that home game, because all of the home team uh, teams won. How, should we go through each and every one? Because we had some not only interesting games, uh, but some incredible goals. Yeah, I'll just say as an overview, uh, very good games, very good soccer. But it wasn't as zany as we've come to expect no. from the MLS playoffs. You had a dramatic first game, certainly. Philadelphia winning on a goal in the last minute of extra time. And everybody thought, oh, fasten your seatbelts, uh, MLS playoffs, here we go. And then after that, you had three as you mentioned, multi-goal victories for the home team. So I enjoyed it, but it wasn't, you know, that normal craziness that we've come to expect from the MLS playoffs. All right, so let's start off with Philadelphia and the New York Red Bulls. Uh, You know, this is a Philadelphia team that is tested. Uh, Jim Curtin, one of the great, and I will say great uh, so far. I know it's only in one, it's one place, but so far uh, he looks to be a great MLS coach and he's he's been able, even with, attrition and even with selling on players and all that kind of stuff to to find a way back they get the win one uh, nothing against the New York Red Bulls a, a a surging New York Red Bulls that really finished the season strong they just didn't have enough when it came to Philadelphia and let's be honest it wasn't a great game uh until this actual final moment where Jacob Glesnes who only scores incredible goals evidently hit this bomb from outside of the box we're taking a look at it here and it, it, it bounce, bounces up on him very nicely so he can volley it out of the air and get that wonderful dip. It's coming through a lot of players, so it's different. Uh, so it's difficult for the goalkeeper to see. And by the time he does, I mean, he is nowhere near it. And that's all it takes. That is all it takes for Philadelphia Union to beat the Red Bulls and to go on. There's not a whole lot to talk about when it comes to this game. And I think it was <laughs> universally panned, I guess, as not a great game of soccer with one of the most memorable and possibly legendary goals finishing it off. But everything else about it can get thrown away except for uh, this goal. Very, very nice. And you can watch it on a loop. All I would say is the Union, solid team, very well organized, but they lack that 
match winning qualities. So you knew against a team like the Red Bulls, it could be a tough matchup because the Red Bulls are very good at frustrating you. They're a tough nut to crack. And so Philadelphia pull off an escape here. But I think that issue of not having that star attacking player that can break open. So you game. don't think they can ride a center back uh, <laughs> scoring yeah. bombs for the rest of the playoffs? Uh, no, I that, do not. That's not going to happen. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's move on to uh, Sporting KC and Vancouver, or, uh, hosting Vancouver. Well, in our anniversary show, I asked uh, Chris Wondolowski for an MLS Cup prediction. He picked Sporting KC to win it all, and they look very good here. I, I like the way they took care of business. Uh, Graham Zussi with a terrific goal as well in this one. Um, yeah, they move on. Uh, here as we take a look at the Zussi goal. And this it, is nothing new. He's done this before and he gets it out of his foot uh, and immediately you know what's about to happen here. He sees it and he smashes it. And again, it just kind of sits up. When that ball just bobbles up a little bit and you can get a hold of it, it just enables you to get more of your foot on it. Oh, actually, it probably didn't bobble up there. So he just got a hold of everything right there. I needed it because I had, I had bigger feet. So a nice little bobble up, even a, an inch over the, off the ground would really help. It was a nice play. It was a nice crossfield pass to Shallowy, who brought it down and cut into the middle and rolled it across for Zussi. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very high on the Sporting KC team as well. I don't want to dismiss RSL because one of our games Tuesday night is Seattle RSL. But if Seattle wins that game, Seattle SKC, mm, that would be a titanic clash in the conference semi. And, and uh, you know, Peter Vermes was very, very clear after the game how proud he was of his team, but also that, you know, some of the talk coming out of Vancouver uh, when it uh, when it came to how they, well, how they, how, how, how sporting thought that they were disrespected uh, by Vancouver had played in and motivated what they uh, went out and do. But the reality is it doesn't matter what anybody said or didn't say. That had nothing to do with it. Sporting KC is just a better team than Vancouver. But, you know, Vancouver deserves credit, once again, like the Red Bulls, for finishing strong. And I think finishing the year in a way, in a way that is much more positive in that they can build upon that uh, going forward. Uh, anything else on that game? Nope. All right, we go to NYCFC hosting Atlanta United on uh, ABC, uh, National League televised from Yankee Stadium and the confines that are Yankee Stadium. Uh, it, it's it's not a great viewing experience. It never has. Uh, you know, I don't want to beat it to death, but the reality is this is where this team plays. They have used it to their advantage at times, but that's not to say that NYCFC can't play on a quote-unquote normal field. I will I will say this. We were told a while ago that, because if, if anybody watched that game, there is a shot that you, uh, that you see of the field where there's a wire going through. Now that wire holds up the net in baseball so people don't get hit by foul balls and that kind of stuff. And we were told that in order to take that down, there is an exorbitant cost associated and manpower that is associated. But it's it's a bad look and that we are in the playoffs and that we have this big game and there is still a wire basically going through the uh, the screen on a broadcast. That sucks. And by the way, that's not that's not ABC or NBC or ESPN's problem uh, or anything uh, else out there. It's just the reality of the situation. It is the most inhospitable environment in Major League Soccer when it comes to uh, the way that Yankee Stadium operates. But it's not going to change anytime soon. And NYCFC has used it to their advantage, like they said. Uh, they came out here again against an Atlanta team that I think people expected more from on the day and certainly in the year. But they had nothing. And I'll tell you what, 
Maxi Morales was player of the game for me. He was absolutely incredible in the things that he was doing. Castellanos, again, keeps scoring in interesting ways. Strange but they goal. Go in, but they go, in, they, they go in the net. For those that don't, uh, that, that didn't see the game, ball came over as a cross, and he went for the, you know, the big-time volley. And, it, and as is often the times, you don't quite get it or you hit it on top, which he did. And he ended up bouncing it over Brad Guzan into the back uh, of the goal. It was almost a slow motion type of play, but they all count. And this guy just keeps scoring. Anything he touches seems to go in the uh, goal. NYCFC coming up with a uh, dos acero against uh, Atlanta United. Any thoughts on that, Mossy? Well, first on Atlanta, interesting season for them. Obviously a step in the right direction relative to last year, but it wasn't the full-on bounce back season that it looked like it might be at one point. They got off to a disastrous start under Gabriel Heinze, but then they make the coaching change. They sign out Aouju. Joseph Martinez starts to look like Joseph Martinez again. There was a point there in the middle of the season where we were talking up Atlanta as potentially a really dangerous mm -hmm. team. And they kind of faded down the stretch, go out meekly in the first round. So how do you read where Atlanta is at right now? Are they back on the right track with Gonzalo Pineda or no, the jury's still out? Oh, the jury's definitely still out. Um, I, I think... It's unfair probably to judge a coach coming in midseason, but that's the way that it is. I think that they will be better. A lot of coaches that come in kind of even to a certain extent, you know, a Tuchel or whoever, they just make do with what they have. And some of them are very good so that they can get them playing better, which I think he did. But I think he'll really be judged starting uh, starting next year. But again, this team is going to consistently be judged on when they were great and when they were great. They were run and gun. They were must see because of the explosiveness that they had when they got the ball. And yes, a lot of that you can attribute to uh, Miguel Almiron. But that is a style of play. Yes, it's relative to, this, to the, the players that you have. But you went out and specifically identified and got those players. By the way, Carlos Bocanegra just got a new deal. So he's going to continue on as part of the brain trust there that is dictating who those players are and what style of play. And if you can't live up to that, that is a problem. I mean, we're going to talk about Manchester United uh, later on in the show, but living up to your former self, living up to that past and that history that you have is not always easy. Uh, I get it. But that's what that that's what fans expect. And that is the level that you have given them. And I think it's I think it's right for them to expect that if you're going to go into a completely different style of play and it's not as successful then you're, you're not going to get you're not going to get the credit. And so I, I don't think that this is even close to that great Atlanta team that we saw. But I'm cautiously optimistic that it is heading in the right direction. Yeah, and NYCFC, we've talked about it all year. They can be a confounding team because the whole doesn't always add up to the sum of the parts. Right. But they do play some very good soccer. They have players like Morales. And so now they go to New England. Uh, how scary a game is that for the Revs in the conference semis? Is it scary? I mean, you know, they're, they're the Revs. There's a reason why they have been sitting home with their feet up and resting. It's because they, they worked hard. I mean, historically, the success that they had has given them that opportunity. But is it too much time off? Have they gotten fat? Uh, that's what's going to be the question. Is there, is there rust when it comes to the uh, New England Revolution having to regenerate and rev it up again and trying to recapture some of that magic that existed in the regular season. Uh, I, I don't think that they're worried. But again, th this is where, as I said before, you cannot afford to have a bad day. You have got to be able to reignite 
some of what has made you not just good, but great when you were the revolution. I don't think NYCFC looks at it as a problem. Also, while they get a lot of credit and, and rightfully so, uh, and a lot of focus is on how well they play at Yankee Stadium in the um, in this, you know, the strict and constricting confines of Yankee Stadium. I don't think that they have any problem. And it might be a case where this team, even as good as they are in that postage stamp of Yankee Stadium, these are good players. These are good soccer players. And in the same way that we we saw Canada, you know, playing in the snow, I, I have to feel that good players, they want better conditions. They want uh, more room to play. And I think that, that that applies for NYCFC. And that's why I'm bullish about NYCFC. In no way am I, am I assuring that they're going up to New England. And it would not surprise anybody if New England did just flick that switch and they're back and they are New England and they go out and beat what is a what is a flying NYCFC team. But this this NYCFC team, it's not sneaky good. It's just good. Anything else, Mossy? Well, and then the last game of okay. the weekend, uh, Portland beat Minnesota 3-1. Very impressed with Portland because they fall behind early to, to a very good Minnesota team that almost reached the MLS Cup last year. And the way Portland didn't panic and, and then took control of the game, they got it equalized by halftime. And then Sebastian Blanco with two phenomenal goals in the second half, especially the second one. And, you know, we talk about match winning quality. This game more or less set up as a duel of Argentinian playmakers with Blanco and Reynoso. And, and Blanco clearly came out on top. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And... As as impressive as Portland was and Blanco was, and he is, you, I mean, I was talking to someone from Colorado yesterday about what they have to do. And look, you don't need me to tell you you got to shut him down and you got to have to find a way uh, to shut him down. That's all fine and well. But as impressive as Portland was, I was equally as unimpressed with Minnesota. And yes, as you rightly point out, they go up ahead, but they're never they never seem to grow off of that they never seemed to feel like they were that they, they they even themselves that they felt they deserved that and this is a team with with much higher expectations that they were fighting until the end even to get into the playoffs i don't think was expected and that they go out with a whimper this this was not a roar at all from a team that as you as you said has some real good quality and i i was i was appalled at times by the lack of um urgency and I guess the lack of commitment when it comes to the loons. This was, you know, the, these these were not loons. What I don't know what the the, the next one in the, uh, uh, the lower peg of a loon is. What when it comes to foul out there? <laughs> but no we idea. can we can find that out. But these were they did not live up to the loon uh, the loon name as far as I'm concerned. That sets up as you mentioned Colorado Portland, which is our Thanksgiving uh, game that you did your State of the Union on. Uh, fun history with these teams. Portland's first MLS match 2011 was actually away to Colorado. They played that famous snow game in 2019. Portland's only won twice in Colorado, but it was in, in the two seasons where they reached the MLS Cup 2015 when they won it and 2018 when they got there and lost to Atlanta. Uh, so interesting. How do you see that one uh, shaping up? I, I, I think that Colorado is this fascinating um, experiment, Petri dish, if you will, that nobody really paid attention to. And they had no problem with that. Yes, there's an element of chip on their shoulder. Nobody cares about us. Nobody pays attention to us. And we're doing all these great things. Well, if you hadn't been so irrelevant uh, and uninteresting for so many years, uh, then that wouldn't happen. But they're not hiding anymore. Everybody knows what Colorado is. And Robin Frazier has done an incredible job um, and you know, spread the wealth. They're getting 
you know, great performances all over the team. He can play multiple personnel or multiple formations. He can play multiple uh, different types of tactics out there. Doesn't miss a beat. Next man up, all that kind of stuff. They're not doing it with major stars and certainly not doing it with major, major money. So in, in every sense of the word, this is a pure team. But this is on national television, on Thanksgiving, and as I said in the State of the Union, uh, a real opportunity for them to almost, as strange as it sounds, announce their presence to the world and say, this is what we are. Or completely shit the bed because it is it is theirs to lose. They, they, they got the bye. They finished atop of the Western Conference. And I don't think there's anybody out there that before the season predicted that that would happen. And credit to Robin Frazier. And they did it in what I feel is a more difficult conference. And so they come out on top. They get the bye. They get the home, they get the home game now. They, it's on national television. Everybody is going to be focused and paying attention. So while you might have gone under the radar for much of the season, Robin Frazier and the Colorado Rapids, uh, everybody is looking right now, and the mark of a great team is to be able to to perform when everybody is looking and when everybody is expecting. I don't know if there's a great Colorado team uh, yet. We're going to find out when they play. To your point, I think I think a a very good Portland team, and they're going to have to neutralize some of those components, whether it's. Uh, whether it's Blanco, whether it's uh, Espria, who's had a really, really good year, the, the Chara brothers, which just continue to churn out uh, results and be really, really impactful on the team. So they got a lot of things that can hurt you. And by the way, Diego Valeri is just waiting in the wings, sitting in, uh, sitting on the bench. So there's a lot of stuff uh, to like when you're Portland. I, I would think that they would be confident going into Colorado, despite the great season that Colorado uh, has had. So that's I'm looking forward to that, by the way. And you know, on Thanksgiving, and as I said in the State of the Union, a day when so many people are home, and this gets more into, you know, the business of it, it's another opportunity. It's another platform. It's another entree into MLS. There'll be people sitting around. They'll be flicking through. And obviously, there's going to be a lot of NFL. And that's, that's where tradition dictates people are going to go. But you never know if somebody just becomes a Colorado Rapids fans because in 2021, they were sitting home and drinking beer and eating turkey. And they clicked through and they saw... Uh, Colorado playing on uh, Big Fox, and they said, that's my team from now on. Uh, my favorite holiday, by the way, Thanksgiving. Really? Why? It's just about eating. There's no other nonsense attached to it. Uh, it's right up my alley. You do understand why this is a holiday, though, yes, right? Yes, yes. Would that be nonsense, or is that just the reality? No, but you know what I mean. It doesn't okay, have all the it. other trappings. Listen, I, other. I, I now, living in L.A. with my entire family living elsewhere, it means I have spent some lonely Thanksgivings over the years where nobody invited me over we to the house. We should probably play some music behind um, us if you're about to tell a story. So what uh, what do you have planned this week? Well, I'll be working. We have an oh, MLS that's right. game. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we are working. Yeah, so you're going to hang with me. Yep. Boy, that is lonely and that is sad and depressing. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, okay, so we do have some other games too, uh, including Tuesday. By the time you listen to this, uh, these games might have happened. We were recording this on a Monday. We have a doubleheader coming up on Tuesday, right, Masi? Correct. Uh, both games on FS1, Nashville versus Orlando, and then Seattle hosting Real Salt Lake, the last two first-round games. I'm looking forward to uh, both of these games. Uh, and, and what should be said, stay tuned later on in the show because I have a, uh, a great interview with uh, Dax McCarty of Nashville. we got a lot of Nashville, actually, in this show. And I think rightfully so because this is an expansion team that, while it, while it hasn't had the great heights of an LAFC or an Atlanta when they came out of the shoot, it certainly hasn't had the great lows of uh, you know, a Minnesota United when they first came out. I think they've just been really smart in the way that they have 
constructed this team. They've used their money uh, well. They've, uh, they have Dax and others that have intrinsic uh, knowledge of what this uh, league is. They are, and I'm going to talk to Dax about this, but there's a difference between winning and not losing. And the amount of ties that they had this year is historic. Um, and it can go both ways. Is it good because you're constantly being competitive and obviously getting points and keeping yourself in? Or is that just as far as you can possibly go? And ultimately, when you get up against better teams, which is what happens in the playoffs, are you able to turn those ties into wins? And how do you go about doing that? And that's what I'm really interested to see what Nashville is, is about. So that's going to be fun. Yeah, I'm fascinated by them. Uh, they did finish third in the East. They were unbeaten at home. They tied an MLS single-season record for fewest losses with four. And we tend to think of them as this rugged defensive team, but they do have a guy in Hani Mukhtar, legit MVP candidate who had 16 goals and 12 assists. Um, Walker Zimmerman at the back. So, yeah, it's an interesting team. I can't figure out if they're if they're just being underrated here and we need to be talking about them more as an MLS Cup uh, contender. Yeah, I mean, look, it... it in MLS, and you know what MLS is, and our listeners know what MLS is, it, it wouldn't surprise anybody if they go on a run and win MLS. Does it mean that they're the best team that we've that we've ever seen? No, but things can, uh, you know, things can happen. When it comes to Hani Mukhtar, too, because I know there's a lot of talk about, you know, why wasn't he up for this and why wasn't he up for that? You know what? If, if you are national, you have to recognize that <laughs> squeaky wheel, you got to be out there making sure that people know what's going on. All right. And big market teams, bigger teams, bigger spending teams, they are going to get attention as are, uh, as are their players. And so, yeah, once again, welcome to life. It's not always fair and, and soccer isn't fair. So go out there and actually do your job and promote and market those, uh, those players and make sure that everybody understands uh, what's going on with your players. That is, that is part of the job in all, in all industries and in all uh, leagues and all teams, but in particular, when you are shall we say, in, in a market and in a team that doesn't get as much attention as others. And they have uh, a manager in Gary Smith who has won MLS Cup with yep. Colorado back in 2010. They won a couple of playoff games uh, last year. It is interesting to compare and contrast with Inter-Miami. They come into the league at the same time. Inter-Miami gets all the hype, David Beckham, et cetera. And yet it's Nashville who have been the much, much better franchise so far. Well, yeah, and it, it, you can whine and cry about it, but you know, what Inter did is sexier, is more interesting, is more entertaining. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's just the way that it is, Mossy, okay? So, and in, 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 in general, in terms of, the, of piquing people's interest, that's what's going to happen. Don't kill the messenger, this is just the, the way that it is. Now, oftentimes we're, we're talking about Inter in a negative light, and we're talking about the fact that they cheated, or the fact that they sucked, or all that kind of stuff, but, you. People have to care, and sometimes you have to make them care. All right, what else, Mossy? And then Seattle RSL, which um, RSL do have, I believe, your MVP, Demir Krylock, right? That's how you ended up voting yep. for? Yep. Um, but I keep saying the biggest X factor uh, in these playoffs is how uh, Seattle reincorporates Nico Lodero, Jordan Morris, even to some extent Rui Diaz, who missed some games uh, towards the end of the season. So if, if all those guys are completely healthy and back to their best, uh, Seattle's going to be a very tough team to beat in these playoffs, but we'll, we get our first look at it in this game. I mean, this should be a Seattle win, okay? I, and, and with all due respect to, to RSL and to Krylock and all of those different teams. And by the way, if you're Brian Schmetzer, you have been lauded uh, for the last few years, and I think rightfully so, figure it out. 
These are champagne problems, as Tata Martino would say. I have no, no sympathy for a team that says, oh, you know, we're we're getting back all stars. We're getting back designated players. We're getting back national team players and we got to be able to fit them in. It's your freaking job. OK, so figure it out. Seattle is a better team. Seattle has, I mean, certainly in the last uh, 10 years, incredible amount of success when it comes to Major League Soccer. They have all the knowledge and experience when it comes to the playoffs. So they should be able to go out against an RSL that squeaked into the playoffs. That's that's an OK team. It's not a great team. And they should be able to win. And they should, if you're Brian Schmetzer, figure out how to integrate those players back in. Or you know what? Don't integrate them back then. If you think you're better without them, fine. But you get paid the money. You get in that position. You get praised uh, all the time. And like I said, rightfully so. I got a lot of time for Brian Schmetzer. Well, this is where you earn your money. Figure it out. Yeah, I agree. I mean, this is uh, on paper the most right. one-sided game of the first round. Crazier things have happened. It's the MLS playoffs, so you never know. Sure. But, but obviously, Seattle, overwhelming favorites in this one. Uh, shall we transition to some other MLS There's a news? couple, yeah. There's a couple of news and uh, notes here. Well, it's official. Bob Bradley out at Not LAFC. Not necessarily a surprise. People were talking about it, right? Uh, so what's he doing? What's he going? Where's he going, Mossy? Sounds like Toronto. Yeah, huh? that's the uh, scuttlebutt. Coach, his son. Uh, and just to put a coda on Bob Bradley's time at LAFC, I continue to say the fact that we spent the last couple of years treating LAFC like they were the 2004 Red Sox talking about when when are they finally going to win MLS Cup is a testament to how right they got it to begin with. The fact that this was an expansion team that in an incredibly short period became this big bad super club that we judged by the highest of standards I think is a testament to how right they got it in the beginning. It's amazing that we almost don't give them enough credit for the fact they won the Supporter Shield in their second season of existence at an MLS single season points record, got to a CCL final, were 15 minutes away from winning the CONCACAF Champions League in their third season of existence. So I still think th this season was disappointing the way it ended. And, and you could argue they needed a change and gotten stale. But overall, I look at this, even without an MLS Cup title, as an immensely successful four years. Uh, this, this parting of the ways between the two, uh, and, and I'm not internal, so I don't know, but I, I would I would guess that it was amicable, that there was a recognition that this had gone as far as it could. To your point, it had it had gotten stale. And that happens with with every every coach and that they don't have that MLS Cup or that ultimate moment to uh, to celebrate. I don't think in any way it diminishes the importance and the impact of Bob Bradley, which, by the way, will be felt on a continual basis going forward. I mean, his I identity and his philosophy and his impact will continue to be felt, I think, for years to come and really probably has established some best practices and structures that whoever comes in next, I think, will very, very quickly rec recognize, not, not that they want to continue all of them, but a lot of them are kind of fundamental and will continue on. So I don't think, as I said, that this was a... Um, a belief from your, you know, Thorington's and other leadership there that they can't be successful with Bob Bradley. It is just this has come, and this is kind of the perfect moment. It's the, end, it's the end of his contract, and don't cry for Bob Bradley. He's going to have plenty of opportunities, like you mentioned. He's probably going on to a really uh, uh, interesting thing, and uh, with great opportunity up there in uh, in Toronto. Mossy, here, hear me out on this one. How awesome would it be if Bob Bradley? were to take over El Tree 
from Tata Martino and lead El Tree into the promised land. When I say the promised land, qualification for the for the World Cup in Qatar, and then lead them into uncharted territory into that fifth game in the World Cup for success. It will never happen, but I would be here for it. Uh, you talk about a reality series. You talk about something to document and follow every step of the way. That would be uh, that would be something to see. Well, in order for that to happen, Tata Martina would have to be fired, which would then make him a prime candidate for some of these MLS wow. openings. So, uh, but doesn't sound like that's going to happen. Yeah, and just uh, and one more note on LAFC, they played at their best, the best soccer I've ever seen played in MLS, especially during that 2019 season. I remember I went to a game against Seattle. They won 4-1, and my mind was blown. I thought I was watching Manchester City play, uh, and and so he deserves credit for that as well. I think LAFC have really elevated. Yep. And, and he talked about it, and he talked it and walked it. He talked about, we want to try to do things differently. And, you know, we can make fun of him talking about Barcelona and talking about different things and not wanting to call it soccer and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is that, to your point, he established a way of, uh, of playing for that team uh, and then went out and actually had them play that way on a consistent basis. When everybody was expecting that, they played what a lot of people feel is beautiful and pretty uh, pretty soccer uh, out there. Uh, Kevin Baxter, who does a great job, wrote an excellent column in the LA Times talking about who might take over for Bob Bradley. And a name that uh, Kevin Baxter was pretty high on was Steve Cherundolo. Mm -hmm. uh, does that seem to you like a logical guy they might Why? turn to? Why would it be super college other, other than he coaches their their minor league team in uh, Las Vegas? Well, so that, it's, it's a logical type of su succession. Exactly. That was, thing, you know, but. it's gotten stale. They need a change, but they still want to preserve some of the good things they've built up. Um, so that I mean, was yeah, if you're end. if you're grooming him to do it, then, yeah, it's it's fine. But what has he done that qualifies him for taking over? To your point, one of the premier elite super clubs in the league that wants to play a certain a certain way. And by the way, he might he might be great, and this might be a fait accompli. It's uh, it's going to happen. But I think that look, and I I guarantee you that because it's Los Angeles, the amount of incoming calls to leadership there has only increased. Um, since uh, the decision with uh, Bob Bradley, and probably even before, even when the rumors started to come out, there are going to be a lot of people that would look at that as a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. And I'm not just talking about domestic coaches. I'm talking about pe uh, coaches all over the world to come to not just to come to Major League Soccer, but to come to Major League Soccer with you and your family and to live in Los Angeles and to coach the uh, coach LAFC. That is a, a that is a plum assignment. And they now have to make a decision on Vela, who. Oh, don't get me started on Vela. Contract is up at the end of this year. There's an option for. 2022, but it might have gotten stale with him there too. I don't get the vibe that Absolutely, Carlos Vela is going to come stale. back in 2022. You get paid all this money and you're not even playing. Yeah, I mean, super motivated he, and shape I saw him and more, back to his MVP I saw form. Him in action more in the uh, body armor commercial where he was drinking the sports drink before the uh, the game over uh, on, on ABC than I saw him all year play on the actual uh, actual field. And you you can't afford to have that. This guy, from from a financial perspective, all right. Uh, you're paying him a ridiculous amount of money to, and he's not playing. But then practically the way that you play and to, the, to your point, it's all fine and well to talk about playing a certain way. But if you can't actually play it, if you don't have the players to do that and they actually have one of the players to do that and it does you no good. And the problem is, and once again, this is from the outside. I don't know anything from the inside, but this is from the outside. It just always seems to me that there's no motivation to actually do that, to work through it, to, to to give back and I, I don't know if it's just an apathy or whatever but he just seems content to be doing what he's 
actually actually not doing. And that that drives me crazy from the outside. So they're really going to have to figure out what's going on uh, with that. Whoever comes in uh, in in uh, in place of Bob Bradley, but wherever Bob Bradley ends up. And like we said, it's rumored to be uh, Toronto and he, and, you know, for, the, for an opportunity up there in Toronto because they've been so poor. Um, I wish Bob Bradley well. And he has left, like I said, his imprint on this uh, LAFC team. And that will, uh, I think that will sustain uh, well beyond uh, the time that he was there. Uh, okay, what else, Mossy? NWSL. Oh, yes. The, uh, the final. Oh, wait, it's not called a final. It's called a championship. Coming to you from the neutral site of uh, Louisville. So, yeah, I watched that. Um, congratulations to the Washington Spirit, the uh, 2021 NWSL champions. It was an interesting game. Went into extra time. Uh, the great Kelly O'Hara, who actually was beaten for the first goal, ended up scoring the winning goal and uh, happy for her, happy for her team. It was fun. Trinity Rodman uh, continues to um, uh, to impress. Um, let's see what else happened there. Horrible pe- penalty. It went it went in. So I guess all of them count. And uh, I guess there's no horrible penalties if they go in. But uh, Sullivan had a horrible penalty. It just squeaked in. So they got a little uh, lucky there. But they went on and beat uh, Chicago Red Stars two to one. So congratulations to the uh, Washington spirit. Uh, thus ends a the 2021 NWSL season that was full of drama on and off the field. Uh, I would probably think that the powers that be would want much less drama when it comes to the off the field situation. And here's to... Uh, much less drama when it comes uh, off the field so that they can focus on the product and what is uh, on the field. Because when they do when they do that, it's uh, it's pretty fun and it's pretty interesting and it's only growing and getting bigger and bigger. And obviously, we uh, we talk about here in Los Angeles with the expansion coming and, you know, teams uh, with Angel City and then uh, San Diego coming in. So this is a this is a league that continues to grow and provide people uh, quality soccer. It's a league that's going through growing pains, uh, as we've seen through this year, and maybe they've gotten uh, through those, but there's probably some other stuff to come going forward because drama is part of sports and part of uh, part of leagues over there. But anyway, congratulations to the uh, to the Washington Spirit 2021 NWSL champs. Anything else, Mossy? That's it. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we come back. We uh, we teased it, and we're going to give it to you. Two redheads, two gingers on one show. I don't know if we've done this before, but um, we're going to talk to Dax McCarty of Nashville SC and see what he has to say as his team prepares for their first game in the MLS playoffs. Don't go away. All right. Welcome back to the State of the Union. Ah, we got a special guest here, Mossy. The great Dax McCarty is joining us uh, from where I presume is Nashville. For those that are just listening, I'm going to describe the scene here for you. It's it's a glorious uh, redhead, uh, a glorious possessor of the mutant gene, a glorious ginger, and then what may or may not be a real plant behind him, but he looks gorgeous. Welcome, Dax, to the State of the Union. Um, this is We're recording this on Monday. Uh, the game tomorrow, Nashville hosting Orlando, 8 p.m. Eastern time, 5 p.m. Uh, Pacific time on FS1 is on uh, is on Tuesday. And so I, I recognize that some of you may be hearing this or listening to this after that game. But we're going to talk first uh, about this game here. How 
how do we find ourselves here when it comes to Nashville, where you had such a successful regular season in only your second year? And let's be honest, it's really the first year because we know what, what 2020 was. Uh, finishing uh, third place, hosting a uh, playoff game. How is it that Nashville has become so successful and so consistently successful so fast, if you can encapsulate it? Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me. It's an honor. Uh, anytime there's a redhead host, uh, I, I tend to I tend to jump at the opportunity a little bit more. Uh, it doesn't happen often, and also the plant is real, by the nice. way. Good. Uh, my wife would not have a fake plant in here. Uh, but to your second question, more important question, um, I, I think we just have greater flexibility this year, and I mean that in a tactical sense, and I mean that in a depth sense. I think that we have a deeper roster than we had last year. Like you said, last year was a little bit of an anomaly because of COVID, because of all the, the things that we went through as a group. So this year, I think towards the end of last year, we wanted to kind of bottle up what we what we had at the end of 2020 and kind of parlay that into 2021. And I think we were able to do that very well. I think Gary Smith, our head coach, was able to help our team out tactically in terms of a formation change. We, we went to a little bit more of a solid base with three center backs. Uh, and I think it really opened up our attacking players to do what they do best. Hani Mukhtar, CJ Sapong, Randall Leal, they all had career best years. Uh, and so full credit goes to our staff and our players for being able to adjust on the fly to that. And I think it's really brought the best out of us. Uh, Dax, uh, a lot of debate about the MVP this year, as there always is. Alexi, believe it or not, gets a vote. I believe he went with Demir Krylock. But uh, make a case for your guy. You just mentioned Hani Mukhtar. Why do you think perhaps he should win? Wow, Alexi, going off the beaten path a little bit. You don't say. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, first of all, I think I think Demir Krylock is a fantastic player, and I think he had a great year. I think we have this debate every year about MVP. There's very few years where there's really one standalone candidate that everyone can agree on that says they had the best year. So uh, I am a homer, no question about it. Uh, I see what Hani Mukhtar has done game in and game out for us this year. I think if you look at last year, obviously with the COVID circumstances and him coming in as our first big signing, our DP, uh, you know, people probably were a little bit disappointed in the season that he had. And just to see him elevate his game to such a higher level uh, that he has elevated it to this year, uh, he's really been the catalyst for everything good that our team does on the attacking side of the ball. And so I think if you look by all the metrics and all the numbers and all the data that you want to quantify, I think he's... You know, he's got double digit goals, double digit assists, numerous game winning goals, uh, you know, most combined goals and assists in the league. You know, he's been certainly one of the best players in MLS. And I think you'd be hard pressed to find an argument against him winning the MVP. So I hope he does. Uh, but I understand there's a lot of other deserving players out there. All right, Dax, let's take a little bit more big picture. And I love talking to you because you've been around for a long time. You've played uh, in, in multiple kind of different eras and you've been able to see the evolution, not just of Major League Soccer, but also of, of soccer in, in general. When you take a step back and you look at where, let's start with Major League Soccer, where, where, it, where it has come from when you first started, where it is right now. But I guess more importantly, where do you see it going and, and, and your experience with Nashville, but also your experience with, uh, with, with other teams? And what, that could be on or off the field. Well, thank you, Alexi. I think that's a nice roundabout way of calling the old. Yep. So I, I appreciate that. Uh, but it does mean that I've been around for a long time. And so I've done something right. And just to see when I, when I turned pro, MLS in turn from, from a purely from a, an infrastructure perspective was 
diabolical. We were playing in football stadiums, college football stadiums with horrific turf. Uh, the, the circumstances around depth of rosters was, was very bad. Uh, you couldn't rely on more than 11 or 12 players to, to get the job done week in and week out. I think what I've seen the most is just the excellence of our academies that have started to produce and churn out players that can contribute week in and week out that are 17, 18, 19, 20 years old. That is night and day from when I turned pro and I, I turned pro young, you know, I was one of the, the rare ones that went back 15, 16 years ago. I was 18 when I turned pro, that was not the norm. Now, I think if you want to, you know, there's many different paths to be a pro and to be successful as Chris Wondolowski has shown us. But I think nowadays, if you're, if, if you're not in an academy or turning pro at 16, 17, 18, 19 years old, you're already behind the eight ball. That's how it is in Europe. That's how it is now in the U S and I think that the infrastructure for young players nowadays is so much better uh, you're really going to see MLS, I think, start to tilt more towards the younger side of the ball. How about the U.S. national team? There's so much excitement right now, and you play with a guy in Walker Zimmerman who's really emerging as a factor there. Um, what has he told you about this group that Greg Berhalter is fostering, and what, what can you see yourself? Yeah, I think Walker Zimmerman uh, has had a, a fantastic year for club and country. Uh, I, I look at I don't know who they played in the window before this last one with Mexico, but I'm pretty sure Walker was, uh, he wasn't even called up. He was an alternate. And I think he was an injury replacement who then went on to, I think he started two out of the three games or maybe all three games. And then the performance against Mexico, I really think it solidified his role as, uh, you know, if he's not a, a written in pen starter, he's certainly close to that. Uh, he's been fantastic for the national team. He's been fantastic for us. I think it's a really young, hungry group of players. Uh, I think that they have great leadership from top to bottom and, and they're very young. And you look at a guy like Walker, but you look at Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, uh, Christian Pulisic. This is a new generation of, of U.S. men's national team players that are playing for Champions League clubs. They're all in their low, low 20s, uh, some teenagers. Uh, and there's a, a really heavy expectation, uh, weight of the world, if you will, on their shoulders. And it's cool to see them embrace that. They're embracing that. I think they're doing very well. Uh, I think that they try to stay as humble as they possibly can, but that's where a, a guy like Walker is so valuable. He'll keep everybody honest. That, that's, that's, I think, one of the best qualities about Walker is that he's never satisfied. He's never hungry. He's always looking towards the future. Dax, let's jump back to uh, to Nashville and give you an opportunity to wax poetic on that city. We've been there. We've seen what it is. But, you know, as I said, you've been around and that and in and, and being around, you've seen different markets and and you know, even markets that we didn't even think were soccer markets. What What is so special about Nashville when it comes to soccer? They take so much pride in, in you representing their city. Uh, I've played for some great clubs, some clubs with fantastic history and tradition. Um, and, and a club like Nashville, it's only been around for, let's say, four years going back to the USL days. Uh, but people feel such a strong connection with the sports teams here. Uh, because it's known as a, a music town. It's music city. Alexi, you'd fit in perfectly here with your guitars and, and you know, your country vibe. Uh, you're more of a country vibe now than a rock and roll vibe <laughs> that you were back in the day. But uh, the people here take so much pride in, in their sports teams. And it's no, it's not really that dissimilar from other great sports towns. I think that the city is just growing so much from a perspective of there's, there's new people moving here every year and they want something to latch onto. They want, they want something to believe in. And I just feel like the whole community here is so supportive, uh, whether you win or you lose. I think it helps that we've been successful for two years now. 
Um, but I think we announced today that I think we have 18,000 season ticket deposits already for our new stadium next year. 90% of, of, you know, tickets have been sold, I think for, for opening our opening game in, in May, uh, in our new stadium. And I think it just shows that this city is, is, is a soccer city, no question about it. Uh, and the fans are going to continue to prove that. And on that point, Dax, you came into the league at the same time as Inter Miami. They got all the attention because of David Beckham and some other factors. Uh, and then you beat them in the playoffs uh, last year, and then you do what you guys have done this year. Did you compare yourselves to Inter Miami? And if so, how satisfying is it that through two years you've been the much, much better franchise? Yeah, I think it's difficult to not compare yourself to a team that comes in at the same time. Uh, I think internally as a group, you know, we really wanted to distance ourselves from the comparisons because we built our rosters in two completely separate ways. And I think you guys know this, Alexi knows this more than anyone. There is no perfect formula to win an MLS. Some teams spend millions of dollars and win. Some teams spend millions of dollars and lose. And I think the, the, the people that were in power at National SC had a plan they stuck to that plan. They didn't care what anyone said about that plan. They didn't care about what anyone said about signing an old guy like me uh, and a few other players that maybe people thought were past their primes. Uh, and they stuck to the plan and it's, it's paid off. It's been beneficial. And Inter-Miami was always going to be the sexy team. Everyone was going to talk about them. David Beckham is a legend of, of the game of soccer, not just here in MLS, but in world world soccer. So that was always going to be the case. I think the fact that we took that a little bit personally and we proved on the field uh, what we're all about. That's all that matters to us. We don't really care about the glitz and glamour and, and what anyone else says. And I think that's the best part about our team is we just get on with the, the job and do our business. All right, let's let's wrap it up here with uh, with this question. Uh, you, you're not old. You're just older. But and I think <laughs> you got plenty of years and plenty of soccer uh, still to play. But you know, at this time in a career, uh, every player is certainly looking forward and seeing around that corner when the ball stops rolling and you're stopping to kick the ball. I think you got a wonderful future, whatever it is that you do decide to do. But what are some of the things that you are thinking about when that happens? Well, Alexi, you know, I, uh, I joined you and uh, the legend Rob Stone for a, a U.S. soccer halftime broadcast where I got in, I think, 12 seconds of airtime, where I, I very promptly said what I needed to say, and I hopped on the peppy train, and then from there he took off, so that made me look really nice. Uh, certainly broadcasting and commentating is something I'm passionate about. Uh, I think that soccer in this country is going to continue to grow, and with that, uh, there will be a void in terms of people that are passionate about talking about the game. Uh, that's something that I've considered, but I'm taking my B-licensed coach, coaching course right now as well. Uh, I want to stay involved in the game of soccer. No question about it. I want to be involved uh, in one way or another. Uh, I only got through three semesters at University of North Carolina, so I don't know if I'd be able to do anything else outside of the game. Uh, but it's certainly something that you start to consider as you get a little bit older and as you start to gain a little bit more perspective on your career. You don't want to just retire and then think, oh, what am I going to do now? So it's something that I've thought about. Uh, I certainly hope I have a few more years left and uh, We'll see. Uh, we'll see what comes calling when uh, when that time comes. Well, listen. Uh, from run, from one redhead 
uh, Ginger, uh, Mutant Gene, whatever you want to call us to another, I welcome you with open arms into the industry if and when you want to do that. We cannot have too many as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and you did a great job when you uh, when you were with us uh, earlier. But as I said, you got plenty of soccer to play. Uh, Nashville hosting Orlando once again on Tuesday, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on FS1. We will be broadcasting that game. It might have already happened by the time that you uh, you hear this. Who knows? Uh, Dax and his uh, Nashville team may have moved on or who knows that other things could have happened. But either way, an incredibly successful year. Congratulations, uh, Dax. Good luck on the game. And uh, thanks for coming on the State of the Union, my friend. Thanks for having me, guys. Okay, welcome back. And we're going to take a real quick uh, trip around Europe because there was all sorts of stuff that was going on. And look, there's only one place to start, right, Masi? Ole. It's got to be, right? Are you good with that? So we've settled on Oli out. Yes. The world has finally settled on <laughs> Oli out. It, it finally happened. Not that, not that we should. And we've talked about this before. You know, these are human beings. These are human beings with, with significant others and families and all, and, and all this kind of stuff. So there, there is a human element to all of this when we, the, the sport of, sacking and firing and doing all that kind of stuff having said that you know this was a this was a constant all right um yes Ole Gunnar Solskjaer the uh, now former manager of Manchester United following that humiliating four to one defeat to Watford uh was well they parted ways but ultimately he was he was fired now don't cry for him he's going to get a wonderful package and be paid uh, plenty of money but this was certainly Mossy I think you agree with me the proverbial long goodbye Every week we were on Oli Watch, uh, and certainly given his his legendary status at the club and his reputation as a just a nice guy, and and also the innate ability they seem to have to pull out a big result and avoid the axe. Um, you know, he was given more leash, he was given more time, he was given more opportunity, and pretty much any uh, normal Manchester United manager would would uh, would get, but. There's plenty of blame to go around. I know he's going to take the hit, uh, but there's plenty of uh, blame to go around. And I mean, hell, we had uh, what's his name? Bruno Fernandez after the game, literally to the cameras as they were in front of the supporters pointing out that uh, the uh, the responsibility and the onus was on the players as opposed to Ole, which was which was all fine. It was not going to save his job or anything in that, but it was an interesting little thing. And we all know it's much easier to fire uh, a manager than the whole team, because my response after that was fine. Let's fire the players. If it's a fire, if it's, if it's a player's fault, then fire them. But we know that doesn't happen. So now Ole's gone. The search is on for that next uh, person. But and we talked a little bit about this early in the, in a previous segment. You know, this is a club. This is an elite club. This is a super club that has an identity crisis. This team, I really think, wants to live up to the past, and rightfully so because of how successful it is. But, you know, Masi, this is a Manchester United team, especially with these players, that they don't need nice guys uh, at this moment. They, they need somebody to come in that yes, is able to understand the situation, but somebody that doesn't suffer fools, that somebody is, for lack of a better word, somebody ruthless. I'm not sure that is going to happen, but that's the way it is from the outside. What, what, how do you think this all plays out now going forward? It's interesting because we talked at the start of the season 
about the fact that Manchester United had assembled this very impressive squad on paper, but the weak link might be Solskjaer and that uh, the last shooter drop would be getting him out of there and bringing in a top manager like Chelsea did last season with Lampard and Tuchel. And we all sort of put two and two together and figured Zidane, who's out there, would be the logical guy. And I think the United brass felt that way, but we all forgot to check with Zinedine Zidane, who <laughs> evidently does not want this job. I think the reason Solskjaer survived the last couple of weeks is because they were trying to convince Zidane. They didn't want to fire Solskjaer until they had Zidane lined up and finally got to a point with Solskjaer where they said, regardless of the Zidane thing, we just have to get rid of this guy. So now they put out a statement uh, intimating that Carrick's going to take charge of the team for the next uh, game or two. Then they're going to hire an interim guy for the rest of the season, almost like a Jupp Heynckes at Bayern, Gus Hiddink at Chelsea type figure. And then th they're assuming that come the offseason, some of the guys they like that are now gainfully employed that wouldn't want to leave their current clubs in the middle of the season, like Eric Ten Hag at Ajax and Mauricio Pochettino at PSG, those guys then would jump to United. Uh, now, the English media is getting greedy. Uh, they think there's a chance Pochettino would leave now to go to Manchester United. Uh, that feels like a bit of a stretch to me, but I could certainly see him leaving at the end of the season. So he's probably the number one choice if they wait until the summer. I is think he, that's how is he ruthless out. enough? To me, the ideal coach for them is coaching Tottenham right now, which is why I think they should have fired Solskjaer after the Liverpool game. Instead, they waited and Tottenham cut in front of them and got Antonio Conte. But uh, Pochettino uh, could work out as well. And the reason I think he would leave PSG to go to United is because he saw what happened with Tuchel, who was sacked by PSG and then took over Chelsea and won the Champions League. Guys that are wired like Pochettino and Tuchel that are tactics wonks, they find that PSG job unfulfilling because there's not a lot of wiggle room there. They have these big stars that dictate how you're going to play. And so you're really just kind of managing egos there. Well, right. at a club like Chelsea, I think Tuchel's found that he can really roll up his sleeves and do some more coaching. Now, it'd be interesting to see, do you think United with Cristiano Ronaldo and, and the squad they have, is that closer to a PSG type job or is that closer to what Tuchel oh, inherited no, at Chelsea? Yeah. No, no, I think it's closer to a PSG job. Yeah, I think so, that the egos <laughs> and the personalities there are what are problematic and once again it doesn't mean that if you have somebody that can harness them that that understands how to motivate um these incredible egos that that it can't be successful but what will be interesting is if the the temporary and then the interim manager continue on let's say next summer there's a there's a mass exodus and a clearance if you're only going to Solskjaer, you're looking around saying okay yeah that's great but you know, that that's that was part of the problem. And so if the players are the problem and obviously you can't just get rid of all the players in one fell swoop, although I would love to see that. I would love to see at one point one team just said, fuck it. All right. If it's really the players, fine. We're getting rid of the players. Mass massive sell off gone. There you go. Because if it, if it is the players, according to uh, Bruno Fernandez, if it if it is the players, then let's get rid of them. If if and it's look, it's not all the players. So if it's a handful of players. This is Manchester United. You got more money than anybody, okay? So buy them out or put them on the sideline. Hell, go rent a field down the road, and that's where those players play, and they never come in contact with your team again for the rest of the season. And then you sell them off, and you maybe have to take a hit. But if you have recognized that the players are the problem, then get rid of the players. And I know I'm being simplistic, and I know I'm being a little flip here, but we always talk about how well, you, you can't fire the team. You can only fire the, uh, the coach. Well, what if you can fire the team? And I'm not saying the whole team, but the players that aren't doing it, fire them. Or in the back of your mind, what you really think is 
they can do it. They just need somebody else. And that's where this interim coach uh, or this temporary coach or, or the coaches that we're going to see uh, if there's going to be that bump. Yeah, this week's pod is going to be just one giant bleep. I mean, you're, you're keeping Luis busy here with your I was mouth. told, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but maybe I'm crazy, but I was told that it was okay to do that. Uh, but but uh, he does have to bleep it out. So if you are just listening, you are able to hear my foul mouth. If you are watching, then it has to get bleeped out. So there is work for him, but he'll uh, be fine. To circle back to Zidane, I find this so fascinating. I don't think Zinedine Zidane has decided whether he wants to really enter that rat race and full-on become a manager. I think he views Real Madrid as a case apart and the French national team as a case apart. I think he'll probably want to do that at some point. But beyond that, really jumping in and spending the next 20 years of his life hopping around from country to country and club to club and dealing with the day-to-day rigors of that job. I don't think he's fully decided whether he really wants that. And, and you know, and, and I say this in, in a positive way. I, I, I think Zidane is the coolest guy ever. I think he views himself as above that. Like, I'll dip into that world every now and then on my terms when it's convenient for me. But you know what I mean? I don't, <laughs> because otherwise you would think, boy, Manchester United, if but, you know. But, I, he I don't the, I, but he has the luxury to do it. This is not right. some grandiose type of uh, admirable trait to have. The reason why he's able to do that is because he's made enough money yeah. or he's got enough FU money, he doesn't care. I would love to see some of these coaches if their livelihood and their next paycheck was going to feed them and their families. And that's what they were relying on. It. They'd get real practical uh, very quickly. Yeah, I guess to me, Zinedine Zidane is not a guy that's sitting there right now and thinking I'm unemployed the same way that an Antonio no, exactly. Conte would when he's out of a job and he's itching to get back. And, you know, it, I mean, it's just a guys, different mindset these, the way they're wired. None of these guys are doing it f- for the money. Yes, they want the money, but. You know, they get to pick and choose. And and look, they have put themselves in that position to be able to do it because of this uh, of the success that they have. And so I don't I don't begrudge them that. But, you know, there's a reason why they can stand on principle and, and do all that kind of stuff is because they if they don't have something, they're still going to be fine and they're still going to feed themselves and their family. Uh, and as far as the rest of England this weekend, uh, listen, the. the Three best teams in Europe might be in the Premier League. Uh, Liverpool, Chelsea, and Manchester City are yep. all playing at an incredibly high level. Liverpool brushed aside Arsenal 4 0. Could have been worse if not for Ramsdale. Uh, Manchester City demolished Everton 3 0. And then Chelsea won 3 0 away to Leicester with Christian Pulisic coming off the bench to get the third goal. That Kid's was good in the box. Nice to see, you know, yeah. he's making some good runs and, you know, scoring and playing and healthy, but they're still. There are still rumors that he is not long for Chelsea. So, you know, who knows? I mean, maybe uh, maybe we see him somewhere different uh, in the future. Staying on the American theme, Josh Sargent played pretty well coming on from Norwich, helping them get a win over Southampton. That's what, so that's what we have uh, sunk to. Yep. Josh Sargent played pretty well. That, that's, that's news. All right, moving on. Um, uh, Raul Jimenez. I'm happy for Josh Sargent. Well done. Congratulations, Josh. With a goal for Wolves against West Ham, which prompted a snarky. People aren't going to believe this, but Alexi Lalas had a snarky reaction to that goal. You know what? Because people ask me about this. Is this calculated? Do you, when I send some of these, these tweets out or I say some of these things, it's amazing. I know when I'm being an asshole. Okay, I know when I'm, when I'm doing something that is going to irritate people. But... Oftentimes, it's, I, 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 I'm just putting it out there and I don't realize how it's going to be uh, taken here. We come off of a historic uh, CONCACAF 
World Cup qualifying window in the scenes that we saw and the results that we saw and everything like that. And then the starting number nine striker for Mexico scores a goal. And look, this, this you know, Tuesday and, uh, you know, uh, in the rain and, and all that kind of stuff, that is a, a um, what's a trope? What's it, what, do you, what do you call it when uh, it's used on a, on a consistent basis? Cliche. Yeah, cliche. Can you, you can do it in the, in the rain and stoke on a Saturday night, whatever, or on a Tuesday night and all that kind of stuff. So that's what that was uh, referencing because he had just come off of playing in a historic game in the freezing cold in the snow, uh, in the snow up there. And so it was relative to people that follow El Tree, that people fo uh, follow CONCACAF. But I was amazed at how angry people gotten and, I love Raul Jimenez. I would love to have him on any team that I had. And I think he's a great player. And obviously the story with him coming back uh, after his uh, head injury is inspiring and, and is wonderful. But come on, stop whining, you big babies out there. It was good banter. I thought it was good. I don't care. <laughs> uh, in Germany, interesting happenings this weekend. Bayern suffered a shock 2-1 defeat to their Bavarian rivals Augsburg. And that opened the door for Dortmund, who beat Stuttgart 2-1 on Saturday. And so the gap so between Bayern now? and Dortmund is down to one point. But the bigger story with Bayern, um, they have five players who have refused to get vaccinated, including mm -hmm. some big names, Kimmich, Gnabry. And they've decided to reduce the salary of those players. And those players are now exploring suing the club. So it's bubbling up into this major crisis. Nagelman is trying to contain it. He's come out. He's angry that all this stuff is getting leaked to the press. So... I don't, we don't want to delve too much into politics, Aaron Rodgers type world here, but uh, just could this be something that could derail this team? Yeah. This I mean, you're, you're talking about major players and this team is elite, but it's only elite because of the elite players that they have. And you start taking pieces out of that uh, elite machine and, and it could be problematic for any for, for any reason, including uh, including this uh, reason. And it will be interesting from a from a legal perspective, ultimately, how this is flushed out. And I don't know the. I don't know the German legal system or any anything like that, but this this is not this is not going to end. This is going to be a continuing story, and probably not just there. And we've seen it obviously in um, in the NFL and different uh, different places, NBA, NBA. So yeah, I mean, I don't I don't have an answer to it, but yes, to your point, if if Bundesliga finally has a competitive title race <laughs> because of that. All right, it's that's different. But if anything, the last couple of years have taught us is that you got to be flexible, and we're going to see some crazy stuff. Uh, Italy, uh, some good American stuff there. But first, let me uh, talk about the top of the table. Um, Napoli and AC Milan both uh, suffer their first defeats of the season. Uh, Milan lost a crazy game to Fiorentina, four three. Napoli lost three two to Inter Milan. Uh, Napoli and AC Milan still level on points atop the table, but Inter now just four points back, making that a three team race. Uh, farther down the table, Juventus beat Lazio 2-0. Two penalty kick goals from Leonardo Bonucci. Wesson McKinney started when all 90 minutes in this game. Fabrizio Romano said in the CBS pregame that Wesson McKinney is now the number one midfielder in the depth chart. He's completely won over Allegri. Allegri views him as undroppable. It's great. It's great for Wesson McKinney. It's great for Juventus. It's great for the national team. It's great for America. All that, all that kind of stuff. And keep in mind that, you know, even as, you know, three three weeks ago or whatever there was still talk about hey you know he's on the, the the trading block and things are changing and stuff like that and obviously he went through that that uh that window where he was sent home and 
all that kind of stuff. So this is great for Weston McKinney. Maybe he's maturing as a player and as a person. I can't figure out whether those transfer rumors are his stock being on the rise or because you, you hear clubs like Tottenham and West Ham willing to spend 30 million euros, but going from Juventus to Tottenham, is that, I mean, what would you make of a move like that? I, no, I think, I, it's, I think it's relative to his value in a strange way. So, I don't, so while I was saying that there were rumors, it, it's, I think it was relative to how good he is. And when they go out there on the market, there's only certain players that people are going to care about. And one of them is Weston McKinney because of a lot of the qualities that, uh, that I think he has started to show. But now it seems to be that the, the way it's being framed is that he's untradeable. He's that that's not that's uh, we're not we're not even interested in uh, in that right now because from a practical perspective they got to make sure that they are they are getting results. So that's I mean look if you are a vital component to Juventus you must be doing something right and he absolutely. is absolutely yeah. And then Venezia beat Bologna one nil. Um, Buzio started and had the game winning assist. Tanner Tesman came on yeah, and looked assist good. Assist is a little generous there bounced off a bunch of different knees. I'm not downplaying or poo-pooing it. We had two Americans on the field there for Venezia. Yeah, as we established previously, you are the, you know, you are to Americans in Serie A what Dr. Dre is to West Coast hip-hop. I'm going to use that line again because it was very well received the first time. <laughs> the, the godfather of it all. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just a, it's turning great. into a terrific season. For, well, yeah, I mean, they are, things could change, but, and this is a team that success for them is staying up, uh, staying in Serie A. And that they are sitting pretty right now. I hope that it continues. That they are using Americans. Uh, that that is that is great. And, and let's be honest. Part of the reason why they were bought was to get us interested and get more people interested when it comes to uh, American fans watching American players in uh, in Syria. And I think that they have done that. So uh, hats off to them. And let's hope that it continues because it's still a long season to go. Uh, shifting gears to Spain, uh, Xavi made his long-awaited debut on the Barcelona bench uh, at home against Espanyol. Uh, they didn't play very well. They won 1-0 on a dodgy penalty, so it's only one game, but uh, kind, of, kind of a sobering. He's got a lot of work on his hands. That seemed to be the, the takeaway there. Um, so do you, do you <laughs> think that this, this Xavi experiment ultimately ends positive? Well, it doesn't end or it just continues and it is good and... I think he'll be a good manager. I've always is this had an Ole Gunnar Solskjaer thing? Yeah, we'll have to. I think he'll. I think he'll be a better manager than Solskjaer. Why? I've. I've just. I loved him so much as a player, and just hearing what? interviews. That is the worst defense I've uh, ever heard. I've loved him so much as a player, so he's going to be a good coach. No, and let me let me continue. Right. And just interviews he's given over the years. I just like the way he thinks the game. And so he just, you know, there are certain players that you think, I, I, that guy, I have a feeling is going to be a good coach. And he's just always been a guy like that for me. I, but so we'll see. But you do wonder how much he can really accomplish with Barcelona this season, as we've talked about. Um, so it's not going to be on him at all. It's just, oh, well, he doesn't have the tools. We'll see. We'll see how it plays out. Okay. When is it? It's on you. You do have the tools or you have. Uh, whatever. I'm, I'm jumping ahead. I, I do wish him well. I, I, I actually like him a whole lot, too. And I do think, to your point, he has thought about the game maybe in a different way than others. Is he able to, on a consistent basis, and for an elite team that, that has expectations of being that super club, is he able to transfer that knowledge to those players? Remains to be seen. Uh, Real Madrid are in first place. They won 4-1 away to Granada, so they're feeling good about themselves right now. Um, and finally, France. Uh, 
PSG, you know, I've been very critical of their play uh, this season. And if you just looked at the score in this one, you might think, oh, another week where they struggled against the riffraff in France. What's going on there? But I actually think the first half of this game was the best that Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe have looked together. They played some lovely football. They should have been up three or four goals. The Nantes goalkeeper stood in his head. And it stayed 1-0. And then Kaylor Navas got himself sent off. Um, so PSG had to make a change. He had to take out an attacking player to bring in, and it wasn't even Donnarumma who was injured. It was Sergio Rico who came on, and he ended up taking out Neymar, who I thought was having a fantastic game, but he's a guy that was coming off an injury, and made, so it made sense for him to be the guy that came off. Um, lo and behold, PSG down a man, uh, surrender an equalizer, but then they retake the lead on this freak own goal, and then Messi scores a beautiful goal at the end, his first league on goal. We had to wait until late November for it, but that seals the victory 3-1. So they're running away with league on, but more significant than that, you started to see some flashes in this game of that front three clicking, and it's, it's the first well, time all good, season right? I, I felt like they, they were really clicking. Um, the uh, bad part of the weekend right, in yeah. France was this wasn't good. Yet another f- incident in the Lyon Marseille game where uh, Dimitri Payet, when he was taking a corner, got hit with a, a bottle thrown from the stands. The game was stopped for a couple hours, and then Lyon thought it was going to be restarted. They came back out for warmups, but Marseille refused to come out, and they ended up stopping the match. And it's just yet another incident. It's been just a crazy season in France. We had that Nice-Marseille episode earlier in the season. There was one in the Lens-Lille game where the fans came on the field and fought with the players. Even the Marseille-PSG game was crazy. You had a fan run on the field and come dangerously close to Messi. I don't know what the heck is going on there. Plus, I mean, throwing bottles at people. like What a cowardly move. Just, yeah. just out of nowhere. Nobody sees it in the back of your head or whatever. I mean, that's... Oh, God. And, and the Lyon president, Jean-Michel Alice, who's one of the most respected figures in French football, but he's, he's taking a lambasting because when some of those previous incidents happened, uh, he came out very harshly and said, you know, you got to dock the home team points. That's the only way we're going to clean this up. And now that it's his team, now he's a little wishy-washy. And, well, wait a second. It was one guy. Can you penalize the Here, whole club? Here's the problem. Here's the problem. A lot, a lot of these, I'm not even going to call them fans, but a lot of these human beings, okay, you say, well, here, here's how you deal with the situation, and, and whether it's whether it's chance or all, all that kind of stuff, you think, oh, we're gonna we're gonna dock our our team, and that's really gonna hurt them, and that's really gonna change them. A lot of them, they're not there for the soccer anyway. They're not they're they're there to get drunk. They're there to further, I don't know, an ideology or uh, you know a political belief or just to hang out with a bunch of people, and in that mob mentality do things that they otherwise wouldn't do and that it might hurt their team either in the moment or later on from a point seduction and stuff like that I, I firmly believe that if if you're an asshole you're an asshole right and it doesn't matter if we hurt your team that you quote unquote support all right Masi, what else uh champions league uh Match day five, uh, some of the games I have my eye on, uh, Manchester City do host PSG. Um, one of those teams will, depending on the result, clinch a berth. And PSG, even if they lose here, they, they finish home to Club Bruges, so it's hard to imagine them not going through. Uh, similarly, Manchester United, I guess, with Michael Carrick on the bench, will be away to Villarreal. Uh, they can clinch a berth here, but even if they don't, they, they wrap up home to young boys, so it's hard to imagine United uh, not going through. So not a lot of drama. 
Well, Chelsea, Juventus, they're both going to go through, but for first place in the group, that's interesting. Atletico Madrid really need a win over AC Milan and then to hope Liverpool beat Porto, which I suspect will happen. And then one game that Luis Aguilar shockingly didn't put in the rundown is Barcelona host Benfica. That's a fascinating game because Barcelona are two points up on Benfica for second in the group. So if they win, they clinch a berth. But anything short of that, then they're probably going to get knocked out because match day six, they're away to Bayern, while Benfica are home to Dinamo Kiev. So, so this is must win for Barcelona? I, I would say so. I think they have to get Who's this done in this match. Day. Uh, Xavi. Xavi. Who was, a, who was a great player. So, of course, he'll be a great coach. That's how it works. Of course, that's how it works. Okay. Um, All right. So, yeah, I mean, it's essentially a must win for Sergio Dest and company. All right. Uh, we'll, we'll be following all of that uh, that going on. Anything else before we move on? Last, last thing. Uh, Luis Aguilar indulging me here. He did throw the Copa Libertadores final into this rundown. So, the, the Copa Sudamericana, which is the equivalent of the Europa League, occurred uh, this past Saturday. Uh, it was an all-Brazilian affair. It's like the NIT. Yes. Okay. Um, Atletico Paranaense beat Red Bull Bragantino 1-0 on a goal by Nicom. So they win the Sudamericana for the second time in four years. By the way, in the chaos that is Brazilian football, those are might be the two best-run clubs. So it's nice to see them get to a continental final and be rewarded for their good organization. Uh, for Red Bull Bragantino, they miss out on a, a continental title, which but that project is is on the right track with Red Bull there. As I've mentioned, they've extended their tentacles into Brazilian football. How, and how doing much? Some good how, things there. how much of a mothership uh, relationship do they have? I mean, are they sending off talent and stuff like that? I mean, is it a pipeline? Is it? Uh, I mean, because we've seen it with with Red Bull uh, New York and uh, different players, whether it's Tyler Adams or uh, um, yeah, they uh, had or even a, Jesse Marsh. You know, so different pathways. Is that pathway established yet or? Not really, okay. because uh, they had a guy last year, Claudinho, who was voted the best player in the Brazilian league and was set to go to Europe. And Leipzig was one of the teams mentioned, but he ended up going to Zenit. So you'd hmm. think if it was this established pipeline, he would have ended right. up at Leipzig. They now have a guy, Artur, who's their star player uh, this year, and we'll see where he ends up. But yeah, so far, no, it doesn't okay. seem like it's. Uh, but so uh, the Sudamericana was in Montevideo in Uruguay. The Libertadores coming up this Saturday is also there. It's also a Brazilian, uh, all Brazilian affair. Palmeiras, the defending champions, will take on Flamengo, who won it in 2019. So it's the last two champions colliding. Uh, Flamengo in, in much better form coming in. Palmeiras have lost three in a row. Flamengo have won four straight in the Brasileiro. And they have objectively the more talented team, more match winners, guys like Gabigol and Bruno Henrique. Uh, sounds like Arascaeta will be healthy for that final. Everton will be better. Even guys like, guy like Michael, who uh, is the leading scorer in the Brazilian league and might not start the game. That's the wealth of attacking talent that uh, Flamengo has. So I like them to win this final, pick up their second Libertadores crown in three years. Um, it should be a fairly entertaining game. I know you get two Brazilian teams together in a final. It can be a bit dodgy. Last year's Libertadores final, Palmeiras Santos, was one of the top five worst soccer matches I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> but I think this promises to be better. There is still, by the way, this raging debate in the Brazilian media about uh, the Libertadores final becoming a one-off neutral venue game versus... Uh, uh, Two-legged. They wanted two games in Brazil, each team to get a home game here. Instead, it's going to be this sterile, neutral environment in Montevideo. Yeah. And the Sudamericana final was a bit of an embarrassment in that regard. Now, it's not. It's two smallish teams that don't have big crowd, big fan bases, and they made the tickets very expensive. So, I mean, the stadium was completely empty. It was they, they all had to, for TV purposes, they put them all in this place where they would show up on TV. But when you panned out, you're like, oh my God, there's nobody in the stadium. I suspect it'll be better for 
Flamengo and Palmeiras, two big clubs, but still, you know, there's, there's still this debate about whether that was the right move for Comunibol to do that. Well, from an MLS perspective, history has taught us that Copa Lib actually has a wealth of talent that possibly uh, you could see in the future uh, running around uh, stateside and, and in Canada. So if for, if for nothing else, you know, maybe it's a, a scouting mission out there for, oh, absolutely. Uh, for different people. Yeah. Uh, all right. Anything else, Masi? That's it. All right. We're going to take a re- uh, real quick break. When we come back, it's time for Ask Alexi. Don't go anywhere. All right, we're back and it's time for Ask Alexi. Use that hashtag out there and uh, you send us in your questions, comments and concerns. We also have a hotline. Our hotline is 657-549-2297. But this week we decided to go old school and go back to uh, some Twitter questions here. And we got three of them, Mossy. What do we got? First up, at A.O. Fort Myers asks, in a world where national teams could only be managed by coaches of the same nationality, would that force countries to invest more into coaching, therefore raising the level across the world? Or would just drive a bigger gap between the haves and the have-nots? It is a little strange that the requirement to play for the national team is that you have a passport of said country, right? And yet to coach it, it could be anybody. Um, I don't know. Would it? Would... Yeah, I mean, I, I've made that point a lot on yeah. this podcast. And, and the reason... The defense for it is that FIFA, they want these smaller developing countries to be able to hire coaches from established soccer nations. They think that's going to help them get better quicker. And and I get that. But it's once you start moving up the food chain that it starts to get weird for me. The fact that Brazil could go out tomorrow and hire Jurgen Klopp and Argentina could hire Thomas Tuchel is bizarre to me. So that's where I have an issue when you get to the very top of the sport. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I don't I, I can understand the impact that a quote unquote, good coach could have. But I also recognize that you can find good coaches in a lot of different places and giving people the opportunity. Uh, might You might discover a, a good coach. I mean, look, Jurgen Klopp, I think everybody would would say is a good coach, great coach, right? But yep. it doesn't mean that Jurgen Klopp, if he was in charge of, you know, insert your minnow, FIFA member out there that he would necessarily make that team world class or, or, or would he make them better? Yes. But how much more improvement would we see under Jurgen Klopp as opposed to someone of that country, of that member, of that nationality? I don't know. I don't know. Yes. Uh, to your point, though, I think it would force countries to invest more in coaching in that you could only you could, but what also would happen is that dual national type of situation. We would, you know, c- countries would maybe be on the hunt to find find coaches that have dual national. And would you limit them in terms of their quote unquote employment um, as national team coaches? Because once you're once you're cap tied, or I guess in this case it would be coach tied, then you wouldn't be able to coach anybody else, and that would be that would be limiting. I mean, we have when it comes to places in CONCACAF or we have places in, in Africa where you have a, a rotating cast of uh, coaches that just kind of go to different places and have coached multiple uh, different countries. But yeah, I mean, I think Ma, I don't I don't think that you are suggesting that there should be a rule and regulation against it. You just think that when it comes to coaching a national team to the extent that you can and that there is a level of quality out there you think that it should be coached by someone with a passport from the country that that, co- that country is. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, an example of that sort of globetrotting approach you mentioned is Gus Hiddink has sure. coached a bunch of different countries, including took South Korea to the semifinals of the 2002 oh, Bora, World Cup. Bora Milutinovic. Bora Milutinovic, I mean, absolutely. And, also, and, and I recognized that I was getting a different level of coaching than I had had before, but I was also very young. And, it, and it's not to say that had I been coached by, you know, insert your domestic uh, or your American coach here, or Bruce Serena or Bob Bradley, that it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been as successful. But I just, yeah, I guess you're limiting yourself. But I do think that the international game is, is different in that sense. And it is a little strange that, <laughs> that you do have to have a passport to play but you don't have, a, have to have a passport to coach it. All right, good question there. Uh, Tim asks, uh, what's going on with the new FIFA Intercontinental Playoff format? Yeah, so we know in the past that, for example, CONCACAF has three automatic qualifying um, spots, and then the fourth team goes and traditionally has played a home and away with, at, at varying times, it has been South America, um, Oceania at times it's been, uh, Asia. So they're going to change this now, evidently, we hear. Right, Mossy? Is that what's happening? Uh, correct. So there won't be two-legged affairs anymore. It will be, be a single-game neutral venue. I, I, and we've seen this in, um, in Major League Soccer and others, it, making games as meaningful as possible. And I'm not saying home and away isn't meaningful, but I just think that the one game type of scenario is dramatic and compelling in a way that nothing else is. Now, in this day and age with travel, obviously, this is probably relative to COVID and the realities of the situation of what you can and cannot do there. But if it was just a one game in a neutral venue and winner goes to the World Cup, and the loser doesn't, that's pretty compelling. I'd, I'd watch that. Now, if you're in it, do you want two bites at the apple, which is what a home and away type of situation gets? And you're obviously in your home country, and so you get that feel and flavor. Uh, I can see that argument, but I, 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 think I'm in, I think I'm in favor of the one game. Yeah, what, I what like about it. you? I like it, yeah. Yeah, the teams that it impacts, as you mentioned, fourth place in, in CONCACAF, which right now is Panama. Mm-hmm. Um, fifth place in uh, Conmebol, uh, fifth place in Asia, and the Oceania winner. So you can think about. And they haven't decided yet who who is exactly. matching up right, there. Right. They do that. Uh, they do that later on. Yep. But you know, we have seen uh, we've seen some really compelling home and away types of situations. But yeah, that one game, I'd tune in for that. All Absolutely. Right. All right. What else? What else? And one we'll with this at uh, Corey underscore Collins three asks. I remember a couple of months ago when Alexi said that Walker Zimmerman was a top U.S. center back and everybody said how dumb he was. <laughs> I, I might have fired off a couple of those tweets. Very possible. Um, Zim is an auto call up now. Why are people still undervaluing MLS players? All right. Well, Corey, first off, thank you for at least recognizing that I did say something that came true. I mean, and, you know, blind squirrel, finding a nut, all that kind of stuff. Um, I say a lot of stuff. Some of it tends uh, ends up being true uh, or coming to fruition some of it uh, doesn't uh, it's part of my job uh, I, I get that so for every one of these that you can point out there's probably <laughs> other ones and maybe multiple ones there that didn't like I said uh, turn out correctly when it comes to Walker Zimmerman the only reason that I was 
it wasn't because he's an MLS player, to be quite honest. It was just because of the player he is. And I, and I want to make that real clear. Yes, I have a connection, a emotion, um, and an affinity to MLS. But a lot of it is because I am, hands up, I'll, I'll be the first one to admit, I am, um, I am sensitive to the fact that players that are in MLS are sometimes devalued and degraded simply because they are playing in MLS. When it came to Walker Zimmerman, I just looked at what we had um, and I looked at the way that he plays and knowing what I think is successful at that level. And that's why I put him on there. And when I, you know, when, so when I talk about these players or who I like or who I don't, it's not, it's not because they play in MLS or because they play over in Europe. I, honest to God, I don't care who is on the field for the United States. Come qualifying and knock on wood, we go to the World Cup. I don't care if every player plays in Europe uh, that starts for uh, the, the, uh, the U.S. team. I want the U.S. team to win with the best 11 players. But what I don't want to have happen is that players that play in MLS or pick any other league out there are not given the opportunity simply because the perception of them, as opposed to the reality, is that they're not as good as their counterparts that play in said league out there. Uh, so are they undervaluing, to your, other, to your question, why are people undervaluing MLS players? I, don't, I think certain people are. The good news is I don't think that the coaching staff, which is ultimately all that matters, Greg Berhalter and company, are doing that. They're humans, so they can be swayed different ways, and they come already armed with their histories and their baggages and their biases. We all understand that, and it's it's subjective. It always has been, and it will continue to be until there is this formula. But I do think that they give everybody a shot and that your, your resume always is going to carry weight. But ultimately, when they're in front of the, 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 these players and they're coaching these players and they see these players training, I think that they are making what they feel is their best 11 simply based on the best collection of 11 soccer players, regardless of what their resume says, regardless of how much money they have, how famous they are, where they play, all of that kind of stuff. And then you let the chips fall where they may. And there will be people that will take shots at you and say, um, you're... Uh, you're doing this, you're doing that, and you should do that, uh, do this or do that. But, you know, that comes that comes with the territory. But I'm, I'm happy that someone like Walker Zimmerman is starring, not because he's an MLS player, uh, but because he's good. And I want this team to be good. And I want this team to have good players on the field. And that's what he is. That doesn't mean that he's going to last. It doesn't mean that somebody else isn't going to come up and take his place, either an MLS player or somebody from over. But this, and I've said this before, this... This class warfare that we have between domestic MLS players, and for the most part, and players that play over, for the most part, over in Europe, it is it is problematic, and it it will it will hurt us. And I understand that it's a debate, and I understand that it is rife for debate out there, but it is it is making us pick sides where we need not. And so, um, and don't get me wrong, I, I, I do, I am proud when a player from MLS does something great, but that's much more in the context of that I recognize that 
they are almost playing with one foot behind their back simply because of the stigma that often is associated with being an MLS player. Anyway, uh, good question. Anything else, Mossy? That's it. All right, we're going to take another quick break, and it's the end, uh, end of our show on the other side here, and I will give you my one for the road. Don't go anywhere. All right, we're back, and it's the end of the show. Uh, a good show, I think, Mossy, if I do say so my damn self, and I do. Um, I want to thank uh, Dax McCarty and, uh, um, for, uh, for jumping on here. We had a good time. I think we talked about a lot of things. But at the end of each and every show, as you know, I give you my one for the road. And while it doesn't necessarily have to do directly with soccer, it does indirectly. And, and so hear, hear me out here. I, uh, over the weekend, I was telling you at the beginning of the show some different things that I did. One of the things that happened over the weekend was I have, I have teenagers at home, Aussie. And that, that uh, means that I have a lot of craziness uh, that goes on. But uh, my teenagers went to, you know who Harry Styles is? You ever heard of this guy? So the interesting thing is a couple of years ago, uh, we had gotten tickets for Harry Styles um, uh, to play. And obviously, then the pandemic hit, the concert got canceled. And, you know, it's been a couple of years and tastes within teenagers change dramatically and very quickly. But ultimately, uh, Harry Styles was in concert here in Los Angeles at the uh, legendary forum. And so we... uh, not we, but uh, my teenagers went off to see Harry Styles play, and it got it got me thinking about the uh, you know the experience. I don't know if you remember your first concert. Do you remember your first concert ever? I know you're not a huge music person and all that kind of stuff, but like it's it, it it's emblazoned on my mind uh, the first concert I had. Might have been a Wu Tang Clan. Really? Yeah. Jeez! Wow! You really? You, you, that's I mean, what, what were we thirteen years old? What? Yeah, something like that. Really? Yeah. That's pretty good if that is if that is the if that's the case. You definitely saw Wu Tang. Yes, yes. Oh, okay. Well that's I mean, just go with that then. If anybody ever asks you. Yeah. First concert, Wu Tang. That's that's a Gives whole me other street level. cred. It it I it does. Um my first concert would have been nineteen eighty one ish, eighty two ish. I was about eleven or twelve years old. And it was at the Pine Nam Music Theater, um, which was an amphitheater outside of Detroit. And it was the Pat Benatar Crimes of Passion tour. And my, my best friend, his 16-year-old sister, drove us up there. I, I can't believe my mom let us do this, but what we did, it was, it was great. The sights, the sounds, the smells. I'll never forget walking in, and it, it changed my life forever. But, but that communal experience and, you know, the the excitement of being in that environment you know uh this past summer when we had gold cup and we had nations league and stuff like that Uh, but gold cup in particular because it was the first time that i had been back after that after the pandemic in a real you know a, a big collection of people in a stadium where you do have that that passion and that emotion flowing through and sports in, in a lot of ways, mirrors what happens with entertainment and, and what happens with, uh, with music. And, you know, there's a whole generation, if you will, uh, over the last couple of years that has been denied that opportunity to get in those types of settings because of the reality of the world uh, in which we live. And it's, 
it's so much fun to see some of that starting to come back and to have those experiences uh, that you associate, that you remember forever, like I do with my first uh, for, uh, my first concert. Um, this was not necessarily their first concert, but it was their first concert back after you know a couple of years where nothing uh, really happened. And sometimes you forget, you forget the power and the motion and the the sound and the beats and everybody excited and singing along and you know i was watching the alanis morissette uh documentary that i told you about and they had some incredible footage of that that moment where yes you have your people on stage uh whether it's a in a music uh perspective those people on stage or whether it's people on the field and i've always looked at it as the same thing it's a stage your your performers your entertainers you put on costumes you go on the stage and you perform for the people and to have that catharsis and to have that connection with people that are out there doing things that either you you can't do or you aspire to do but either way you appreciate and either way there is that connection that hits you deep inside and so i hope that we are heading back in that direction um, if you have already had that opportunity to uh to get back and be in that environment like i have like my kids have now uh that's great and you don't know what you got till it's gone sometimes. And so here's to many more times going forward where we can sing and dance and cheer together all of the entertainment uh, that exists out there on a continual basis because, uh, because we need it. And I'm glad that uh, we are starting to get it back. Mossy. Uh, what, what do we think was Luis Aguilar's first ever yeah, concert? Yeah, well, Luis, what do you got? First ever concert you went to. Oh, uh, logic. What? It's Logic? Yeah. It's a band called it's a band it's a called, rapper, Logic? It's a called Logic? Oh, it's a oh, it's a rapper called Logic. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. wow. Where where was it? What was the venue? In uh, House of Blues. Yeah. Boy. Yeah, here Luis has a whole other life we don't know about. Did I, you was it all ages or did you have a fake idea or what? No, it was it was all ages. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like okay. All right, cool. House of Blues in Los Angeles? Yeah. Up on Sunset? Who knew, Mossy? House of Blues, Logic, up on Sunset. That's his first concert. Yeah. I mean, it's no Pat Benatar Crimes of Passion Tour, but uh, what else? Or Wu-Tang, for that matter. Yeah. Um, one last, last thing. Yeah, I'll bet this is. Okay, what do you got? I don't know if you're aware of this, but there is a football game this upcoming Saturday in Ann Arbor of great interest to myself All right, and so to your on. wife. All right, so the Wolverines of Michigan, right? Yeah. Your team. Correct. They are playing in Ann Arbor, yeah. the home and the campus of this Michigan uh, University, University of Michigan, right? And they're playing against who? The Ohio State Buckeyes. The Buckeyes of Ohio State are coming to Ann Arbor. Now, is this for anything? Like if the, the winner of this, for all intents and purposes, has got a good chance of going to the Final Four? Correct. Okay, so this is it. Are you feeling confident? I am not. <laughs> Why? Well... We needed Ohio State to beat Michigan State this past weekend in order to control our own destiny. Right. Uh, good news is that happened. Right. The bad news, it happened in a fashion that took the it was, all the air out of the balloon. It was amazing. I came out of my room and my wife had been watching it, and you know I was being a smart ass. I was like, thank I, you, you know, thank God your Buckeyes pulled it down because at one point it was like forty point difference or something ridiculous. They look like an NFL team. It was. and uh, But you told me Michigan State. We had talked about Michigan State. How can they be so good and then so bad? Didn't Michigan State beat Michigan? Correct. So 
Uh, I'm supposed to believe that uh, we're going to beat an Ohio State team that beat a team we lost to 56 to 7. You'll admit that's that's. Uh, so Mr. Harbaugh and company, he's your coach, right? Correct. He's going to go out there in the big house. They call it the big house yep. down there against the Buckeyes. This could be this could be a bad day for him. This could be a bad day. Yeah. He's, but this isn't Ole out. This isn't Har- Jim out, right? No, he's had a good season overall. So as long as he keeps this competitive, it'll be disappointing to lose again to them. He'll be 0-6 against Ohio State. But I think people can look at this season as a positive overall. There's a very good chance our consolation prize, if we lose this weekend, would be to go to the Rose Bowl. So I would be going to that game January 1st. There you go. Yeah. Wow. So how how far the mighty have fallen? We just, we know we're going to lose. We just don't want to lose badly. Right. That's pretty much where that's we're pretty at, much yes. it. There is University of Michigan for you. Uh, all right. Well, good luck. Good luck. It should be. Uh, it should be fun. Uh, your, your wife and I, we're, we're going to avoid any contact this week because it's just you got to. I, I wish I could read you some of the, the texts my wife uh, had been sending out because um, Stu Holden's wife is also a huge Buckeye fan. Yep. And so when those games are happening, there's all this text chain going on back and forth. And, you know, they they are not fans, shall I say, of Michigan. And that's that's logical. It's the biggest rival. But what they're really not fans of is your head coach over there. They they have no time for that man. <laughs> so anyway, this is going to be fun this weekend. All right, cool. So it's, I, it's a, Saturday is a great sports day for me. I've got uh, Michigan-Ohio State and the Copa Libertadores final back-to-back. So That's right. All right, yeah. so I will be texting you about Obviously, the wire, yeah. uh, and I'll be texting you about Ohio State and uh, Michigan. Yep. Michigan, Ohio State. Yep. Well, no, in football they do it. Ohio State at Michigan. Ohio State at Michigan. Yeah. Whatever. All right. Well, listen. Uh, regardless of what you're doing, have a wonderful uh, week. We'll be back here again next week. Thank you so much for uh, continuing to rate and to review and to download and subscribe and do all the different things you do on all the different platforms uh, out there. We really, really appreciate it. Once again, if you want to get in touch with us. Use our hotline, uh, State of the Union hotline, 657-549-2297. That's 657-549-2297. We will be back right here on the State of the Union again. Same time, same place next week. And until then, and as always, size the day. (laughs) 